Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we read chapters 15 through 16. Now, in the previous episode, Percy, Thalia, Zoe, and Grover had all gone to a had all gone to Hoover Dam. Sadly, Bianca was nowhere to be found and is assumed to be dead. But the four go on onto Hoover Dam and go to the snack snack bar take a little rest and you know but there's rest is cut short because the skeleton warriors come up and of course they're gonna have to flee from them and yeah now we will see what happened to them after they flew or fleed from the uh from the skeleton warriors so we read chapter 15 i wrestle santa's santa's evil twin tell me when it's over thalia said her eyes were shut tight. The statue was holding on to us so we couldn't fall. But Siltaya clutched his arm like it was the most important thing in the world. Everything's fine, I promised. Are, are we high? I looked down. Below us, a range of snowy mountains zipped by. I stretched out my foot and kicked snow off one of the peaks. Nah, I said. Not that high. We are in the Sierras! Zoe yelled. She and Grover were hanging from the arms and the, of the other statue. I have hunted here before. At this speed, we should be in San Francisco in a few hours. Hey, hey, Frisco! Her angel said. Yo, Chuck! We could visit those guys at the Mechanics Monument again. They know how to party. Oh, man! The other angel said. I am so there. You guys have visited San Francisco? I asked. We automatons gotta have some fun in once in a while, right? Our statue said. Those mechanics took us over to the day, to the to the young museum and introduced us to these marble lady statues. See, and Hank, the other statue, Ch- Chuck cut in. They're kids, man. Oh, right. If bronze statues could blush, I swear Hank did. Back to flying. We sped up so I could tell the angles were excited. The mountains fell away into the hills, and then we were zipping along over farmland and towns and highways. Grover played his pipes to pass the time. Zoe got bored and started shooting arrows at random billboards as we flew by. Every time she saw a Target department store and we passed dozens of them, she would peg the store sign with a few bullseyes at 100 miles an hour. Daya kept her eyes closed the whole way. She muttered to herself a lot, like she was praying. You did good back there, I told her. Zeus listened. It was hard to tell what she was thinking with her eyes closed. Maybe, she said. How did you get away from the skeletons in the generator room, anyway? You said they cornered you. I told her about the weird mortal, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, who seemed to be able to see right through the mist. I thought Daya was going to call me crazy, but she just nodded. Some mortals are are like that, she said. Nobody knows why. Suddenly, I flashed on something I never considered. My mom was like that. She had seen the Minotaur on Half-Blood Hill and known exactly what it was. She hadn't been surprised at all last year when I told her my friend Tyson was really a Cyclops. Maybe she'd known all along. No wonder she'd been so scared for me as I was growing up. She saw through the mist even better than I did. Well, the girl was annoying, I said. 
But I'm glad I didn't vaporize her. That would have been bad. Dia nodded. Must be nice to be a regular mortal. She said that as if she'd given a lot of thought. Where do you guys want to land? Hank asked, waking me, from up, make, waking me up from a nap. I looked down and said, Whoa. I'd never seen San Francisco in pictures before, but never in real... I'd seen San Francisco in pr- pictures before, but never in real life. It was probably the most beautiful city I'd ever seen. Kind of like a smaller, cleaner Manhattan. If Manhattan had been surrounded by green hills and fog, there was a, there was a huge bay of ships... Uh, there's a huge bay and ships, islands, and sailboats, and the Golden Gate Bridge sticking up for out for out of the fog. I felt like I should take a picture or something. Greetings from Frisco. Haven't died yet. Wish you were here. There, Zoe suggested, by the em- Embarcadero building. Good thinking, J- Chuck said. Me and Hank can blend in with the pigeons. We all looked at him. Kidding, he said. Sheesh, can't statues have a sense of humor? As it turned out, there wasn't much need to blend in. It was early morning and not many people were around. We freaked out a homeless guy on the ferry dock when we landed. He screamed when he saw Hank and Chuck and ran off yelling something about metal angels from Mars. We said our goodbyes to the angels who flew off to a party to party with their statue friends. That's when I realized I had no idea what we were going to do next. We made it to the west coast. Artemis was here somewhere. And but two, I hoped. But I had no idea how to find them. And tomorrow was the winter solstice. Nor did I have any clue what monster Artemis has, had been hunting. It was supposed to find us on the quest. It was supposed to show the trail, but it never had. Now you were stuck on the ferry dock with not much money, no friends, and no luck. After a brief discussion, we agreed that we needed to figure out just what this mo- mystery monster was. But how? I asked. Nereus, Grover said. I looked at him. What? Isn't that what Apollo told you to do? Find Nereus? I nodded. I'd completely forgotten my last conversation with the sun god. The old man of the sea, I remembered. I'm supposed to find him and force him to tell us what he knows? But how do I find him? Zoe made a face. Old Nereus, eh? You know him? Thai asked. My mother was a sea goddess. Yes, I know him. Unfortunately, he is never very hard to find. Just follow the smell. What do you mean? I asked. Come, she said with enthusiasm. I will show thee. I knew I was in trouble when we stopped at the Goodwill drop box. Five minutes later, Zoe had me outfitted in a ragged flannel shirt and jeans three sizes too big. Bright red sneakers and a floppy rainbow hat. <laughs> oh yeah, Grover said, trying not to look, trying not to bust out laughing. You look completely in- inconspicuous right now. Zoe nodded with satisfaction. A typical male vagrant. Thanks a lot, I grumbled. Why am I doing this again? I told thee to blend in. She led the way back down to the waterfront. After a long time spent searching the docks, Zoe finally stopped in her tracks. She pointed down a pier where a bunch of homeless guys were huddled together in blankets, waiting for the soup kitchen to open for lunch. He will be down there somewhere, Zoe said. He never travels far away, very far away from the water. He likes to sun himself during the day. How do I know which one is him? Sneak up, 
she said. Act homeless. You will know him. You will smell different. Great. I didn't want to ask for particulars. And once I find him, grab him, she said, and hold on. You will try anything to get rid of Dee. Whatever he does, do not let him go. Force him to tell Dee about the monster. We got your back, Talia said. She picked up something off the back of my shirt. A big clump of fuzz that came from who knows where. Ew. On second thought, I don't want your back, but we'll be rooting for you. Grover gave me a big thumbs up. I grumbled how nice it was to have super powerful friends. Then I headed headed towards the dock. I pulled my hat down and stumbled like I was about to pass out, which wasn't hard considering how tired I was. I passed our homeless friend from the Embarcadero, who was still trying to warn the other guys about the metal angels from Mars. He didn't smell good, but he didn't smell different. I kept walking. A couple of grimy dudes with plastic grocery bags for hats checked on me, checked me out as I came close. Beat it, kid, one of them muttered. I moved away. They smelled pretty bad, but just regular old bad. Nothing unusual. There was a lady with a bunch of plastic flamingos sticking out of a shopping cart. She glared at me like I was going to steal her birds. At the end of the pier, a guy who looked about a million years old was passed out in a patch of sunlight. He wore pajamas and a fuzzy bathrobe that probably used to be white. He was fat with a white beard that had turned yellow. Kind of like Santa Claus. If Santa had been rolled out of bed and dragged through through a landfill, and his smell, as I got closer, I froze. He smelled bad. All right, but ocean bad. Like hot seaweed and dead fish and brine. If the ocean had an ugly side, this guy was it tried not to gag as I sat down near him like I was tired. Santa opened one eye suspiciously, but I could feel him staring at me. But I didn't look. I muttered something about stupid school and stupid parents, figuring that might sound reasonable. Santa Claus went back to sleep. I tensed. I knew how this was going to look strange. I didn't know how the other homeless people would react, but I jumped Santa Claus. Ah! He screamed. I meant to grab him, but he seemed to grab me instead. It was as if he'd never been asleep at all. He certainly didn't act like a weak old man. He had a grip like steel. Help me! He screamed as he squeezed me to death. That's a crime! One of the other homeless guys yelled. Kid rolling an old man like that? I rolled all night, straight down the pier until my head slammed into a post. I was dazed for a second and Nerissa's grip slackened. He was making a break for it before he could. I regained my senses and tackled him from behind. I don't have any money! He tried to grab up and run, but I locked my arms around his chest. His rotten fish smell was awful, but I held on. I don't want money! I said as he fought. I'm a half-blood! I want information! That just made him struggle harder. Heroes! Why do you always pick on me? Because you know everything! He growled and tried to shake me off his back. He was like holding on to a roller coaster. He thrashed around, making it impossible for me to keep on my feet, but I gritted my teeth and squeezed tighter. We staggered toward the edge of the pier, and I got an idea. Oh no! I said, not the water! The plan worked. Immediately, Nereus yelled in triumph and jumped off the edge. Together, we plunged into the San Francisco Bay. He must have been surprised when I tightened my grip, the ocean filling me with extra strength, but Nereus had a few tricks left too. 
He changed shape until I was holding a sleek black seal. I've heard people make jokes about trying to hold a grease pig, but I'm telling you, holding onto a seal in the water is harder. Narita's plunged straight and down, wriggling and thrashing and spiraling through the dark water. If I hadn't been Poseidon's son, there's no way I could have stayed with him. Narita spun and expanded, turning into a killer whale, but I grabbed his dorsal fin as he burst out of the water. A whole bunch of tourists went, Whoa! I managed to wave at the crowd. Yeah, we do this every day here in San Francisco. Narita's plunged into the water and turned into a slimy eel. I started to tie him into a knot until he realized what was going on and changed back into human form. Why won't you drown? He wailed, pummeling with me with his fist. I'm Poseidon's son, I said. Curse that upstart! I was here first! Finally, he collapsed on the edge of the boat dock. Above us was one of the tourist piers lined with shops like a mall on water. Nereus was heaving and gasping. I was feeling great. I could have gone on all day, but I didn't tell him that. I wanted him to feel like he put up a good fight. My friends ran down in the steps from the pier. You got him! Zoe said. You don't have to sound so amazed, I asked. I said. Nereus moaned. Oh, wonderful. An audience for my humiliation. The normal deal, I suppose? You'll let me go if I answer your question? I've got more than one question, I said. Only one question per capture. That's the rule. I looked at my friends. This wasn't good. I needed to find Artemis, and I needed to figure out what the doomsday creature was. I also needed to know if Annabeth was alive and how to rescue her. How could I ask all that in one question? A voice inside me was screaming, Ask about Annabeth. That's what I cared about. But then I imagined what Annabeth might say. She would never forgive me if I saved her and didn't save Olympus. Zoe wouldn't want me to ask about Artemis, but Shuan had told us the monster was even more important. I sighed. I sighed. All right, Nereus. Tell me where to find this terrible monster that could bring an end to the gods. The one Artemis was hunting. The old man of the sea smiled, showing off his mossy green teeth. Oh, that's too easy, he said evilly. He's right there. Nereus pointed to the water at my feet. Where? I said. The deal is complete, Nereus gloated. With a pop, he turned into a goldfish and did a backflip into the sea. You tricked me, I yelled. Wait, Thaya's eyes widened. What is that? I looked down and there was my friend the cow serpent, swimming next to the dock. She nudged my shoe and gave me the sad brown eyes. Ah, Bessie, I said. Not now. Grover gasped. He said his name isn't Bessie. You can understand her... Him? Grover nodded. It's a very old form of animal speech, but he says his name is the his name is the Ophiatorus. The Ophi what? It means serpent bull in Greek, Thaya said, but what's it doing here? He says Percy's his protector, Grover, Grover announced. And he's running from the bad people. He says they're close. I was wondering how you got all of that out of a single moo. Wait, Zoe said, looking at me. You know this cow? I was feeling impatient, but I told him the story. 
Thaya shook her head in disbelief. And you just forgot to mention this before? Well, yeah. It seems silly now that she said it, but things had been happening so fast. Bessie, the Oviatoris, seemed like a minor detail. I'm a fool, Zoe said suddenly. I know this story. What story? From the War of the Titans, she said. My, my father told me this tale. Thousands of years ago, this is the beast we are looking for. Bessie? I looked down at the bull serpent. But he's too cute. He could destroy the world. That is how were we wrong, Zoe said. We've been anticipating a huge, dangerous monster, but the Ophiotaurus does not bring down the gods that way. He must be sacrificed. Mm-hmm. Bessie lowed. I don't think he likes the S word, Grover said. I patted Bessie on the head, trying to calm him down. He let me scratch his ear, but he was trembling. How could anyone hurt him? I said. He's harmless. Zoe nodded. But there is power in killing innocents. Terrible power. The fates ordained a prophecy eons ago. When this creature was born, they said that whoever killed the Oviotaurus and sacrificed its entrails would have the power to destroy the gods. Mmm. Um, Grover said, maybe we could avoid talking about entrails too? Talia stared at the cow serpent with wonder. The power to destroy the gods? How? I mean, what would happen? No one knows, Zoe said. The first time during the Titan War, the Ophiotaurus was in fact slain by a giant ally of the Titans. But thy father, Zeus, sent an eagle to snatch the entrails away before they could be tossed into the fire. It was a close call. Now, after 3,000 years, the Ophiotaurus is reborn. Thaya sat down on the dock. She stretched out her hand. Bessie right, went right to her. Thaya placed her hand on his head. Bessie, siver, Be- Bessie shivered. Thaya's expression bothered me. She almost looked hungry. We have to protect him, I told her. If Luke's, Luke, Luke gets a hold of him, Luke wouldn't has- hesitate. Thalia muttered. The power to overthrow Olympus? That, that's huge. Yes, it is, my dear, said a man's voice in a heavy French accent. And it is a power you shall un- unleash. The Ophiotaurus made a whimpering sound and submerged. I looked up. We've been so busy talking and talking, we'd allowed ourselves to be ambushed. Standing behind us, his two-color eyes gleaming wickedly was Dr. Thorne, the manticore himself. This is just perfect, the manticore gloated. He was wearing a ratty black trench coat over his Westover Hall uniform, which was torn and stained. His military haircut had grown out spiky and greasy. He hadn't shaved recently, so his face was covered in silver stubble. Basically, he didn't look much better than the guys down at the soup kitchen. Long ago, the gods banished me to Persia, the manticore said. I was forced to scrounge for food on the edges of the world, hiding in forests, devouring insignificant human farmers for my meals. I never got to fight any great heroes. I was not feared and admired in the old stories, but now that will change. The titans shall honor me, and I shall feast on the flesh of half-bloods. On either side of him stood two armed security guys, some of the mortal mercenaries I'd seen in DC. Two more stood on the next boat dock over, just in case we were trying to escape that way. 
There are tourists all around, walking down the waterfront, shopping at the pier above us. But I knew that wouldn't stop the manticore from acting. Where? Where are the skeletons? I asked the manticore. He sneered. I do not need those foolish undead. The general thinks I am worthless. He will change his mind when I would defeat you myself. I needed time to think. I have to save Bessie. I could dive into the sea, but how could I make a quick getaway with a 500-pound cow serpent? And what about my friends? We beat you once before, I said. Ha! You could barely fight me with a goddess on your side. And alas, that goddess is preoccupied at the moment. There will be no help for you now. Zoe notched an arrow and aimed it straight at the manticore's heads. The guards on either side of us raised their guns. Wait! I said, Zoe, don't. The manticore smiled. The boy is right, Zoe Nightshade. Put away your bow. It would be a shame to kill you before you witness Thalia's great victory. What are you talking about? Thalia growled. She had her shield and spear ready. Surely it is clear, the manticore said. This is your moment. This is why the Lord Cronus brought you back to, back to life. You will sacrifice the Ophiotaurus. You will bring its entrails to the sacred fire on the mountain. You will gain unlimited power, and for your 16th birthday, you will overthrow Olympus. No one spoke. It made terrible sense. Thalia was only two days away from turning 16. She was a child of the Big Three, and here was a choice. A terrible choice that could mean the end of the gods. It was just like the prophecy said. I wasn't sure if I felt relieved, horrified, or disappointed. I wasn't the prophecy kid after all. Doomsday was happening right now. I waited for Thalia to tell the manticore off, but she hesitated. She looked completely stunned. You know it is the right choice, the manticore told her. Your friend Luke recognized it. You shall be reunited with him. You shall rule this world together until under the auspices of the Titans. Your father abandoned you, Thalia. He cares nothing for you. And now you shall gain power over him. Crush the Olympians underfoot as they deserve. Call the beast. It will come to you. Use your spear. Thalia, I said. Snap out of it. She looked at me the same way she had the morning she woke up on Half-Blood Hill. Dazed and uncertain. It was almost like she didn't know me. I... I don't... Your father helped you, I said. He sent the metal angels. He turned you into a tree to preserve you. Her hand tightened on the shaft of her spear. I looked at Grover desperately. Thank the gods he understood what I needed. He raised his pipes to his mouth and played a quick riff. The manticore yelled, Stop him! The guards had been targeting Zoe, and before they could figure out what the, that the kid with the pipes was a bigger problem, the wooden planks at their feet sprouted new branches and tangled their legs. Zoe let loose two quick arrows that exploded at their feet in clouds of sulfurous yellow smoke. Fart arrows! The guards started, the guards started, ca started coughing. The mandragore shot spines in our direction, but they ricocheted off my lion's coat. Grover! I said, tell Bessie to dive deep and stay down! Grover translated. I could only hope that Bessie got the message. The cow. Thalia muttered, still in a daze. Come on! I pulled her along as we ran up the stairs to the shopping center on the pier. 
We dashed around the corner of the nearest store. I heard the manticore shouting at his minions, Get them! Tor screamed as his guards shot blindly into the air. We scrambled to the end of the pier. We hid behind a little kiosk filled with souvenir crystals, wind chimes and dream captures and stuff like that, glittering in the sunlight. There's a water fountain next to us. (coughs) Down below, a bunch of sea lions were... (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) Sunning themselves on the rocks. The whole of San Francisco Bay spread out before us. The Golden Gate Bridge, Alcatraz Island, and the green hills and fog beyond that to the north. A picture-perfect moment, except for the fact that we were about to die and the world was going to end. Go over the side, Zoe told me. You can escape in the sea, Percy. Call on thy father for help. Maybe you can save the Ophiotaurus. She was right, but I couldn't do it. I won't leave you guys. I said, we fight together. You have to get word to camp, Grover said. At least let them know what's going on. Then I noticed the crystals making rainbows in the sunlight. There's a drinking fountain next to me. Get word to camp, I muttered. Good idea. I uncapped Riptide and slashed off the top of the water fountain. Water burst out of the busted pipe and sprayed all over us. Thalia gasped as the water hit her. The fog seemed to clear from her eyes. Are you crazy? She asked. But Grover understood. He was already fishing around in his pockets for a coin. He threw a golden drag mine to the rainbow and created by the mist and yelled, Oh, goddess, accept my offering. The mist rippled. Camp Half-Blood, I said. And there, shimmering in the mist right next to us, was the last person I wanted to see. Mr. D wearing his leopard skin, jogging suit, and rummaging through the refrigerator. He looked up lazily. Do you mind? Where's Sharon? I shouted. How rude. Mr. D took a swig from a jug of grape juice. Is that how you say hello? Hello, I amended. We're about to die. Where's Sharon? Mr. D considered that. I wanted to scream at him to hurry up, but I knew that wouldn't work. Behind his footsteps and shouting, the Manticore's troops were closing in. About to die, Mr. D mused. How exciting. I'm afraid Sharon isn't here. Would you like me to take a message? I looked at my friends. We're dead. Thalia gripped her spear. She looked like her old, angry self again. Then we'll die fighting. How noble, Mr. D said, stifling a yawn. <sighs> so what is the problem exactly? I didn't see that would make any difference, but I told him about the Ophiotaurus. Mm, he studied the contents of the fridge. So that's it, I see. You don't even care! I screamed. You just as soon watch us die. Let's see. I think I'm in the mood for pizza tonight. I wanted to slash through the rainbow and disconnect, but I didn't have time. The manticore screamed, There! We were surrounded. Two of the guards stood behind him. The other two appeared on the roofs of the pier shops above us. The manticore threw off his coat and transformed into his true self. His lion claws extended and his spiky toe bristling with poison barbs. Excellent, he said. He glanced at the Parshan in the mist and snorted. Alone, without any real help. <laughs> Wonderful. You could ask for help, Mr. D murmured to me, as if this was an amusing thought. You could say please. When wild boars fly, I thought, there was no way I was going to die begging a slob like Mr. D, just so he could laugh as we all got gunned down. Zoe readied her arrows. Grover lifted his pipes. Thaya raised her shield, and I noticed a tear running down her cheek. Suddenly, it occurred to me. This had happened to her before. She had been cornered on Half-Blood Hill. She'd willingly given her life for her friends 
But this time, she couldn't save us. How could I let that happen to her? Please, Mr. D, I muttered. Help. Of course, nothing happened. The manticore grinned. Spare the daughter of Zeus. She will join us soon enough. Kill the others. The men raised their guns and something strange happened. You know how you feel when all the blood rushes to your head like if you hang upside down and turn right side up too quickly? There's a rush like that all around me. The sound like a huge sigh. The sunlight tinged with purple. I smell grapes and something more sour. Wine. Snap! It was a sound of many minds breaking at the same time. The sound of madness. One guard put his pistol between his teeth like it was a bone and ran around on all fours. Two others dropped their guns and started waltzing with each other. The floor began doing what it looked like an Irish clogging dance. It would have been funny if it hadn't been so terrifying. No! Screamed the manticore. I will deal with you myself. His, de- his tail bristled, but the planks under his paws erupted into grapevines, which immediately began wrapping around the monster's body, sprouting new leaves and clusters of green baby grapes that ripened in seconds as the manticore shrieked until he was engulfed in a huge mass of vines, leaving leaves and full clusters of purple grapes. Finally, the grapes stopped shivering, and I had a feeling that somewhere inside there, the manticore was no more. Well, said Dionysus, closing his refrigerator. That was fun. I stared at him, horrified. How could you? How did you? Such gratitude, he muttered. The mortals will come out of it. Too much explaining to do if I made their condition permanent. I hate writing reports to father. He stared resentfully at Thalia. I hope you learned your lesson, girl. It isn't easy to resist power, is it? Thalia blushed as 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 if she were ashamed. Mr. D, Gover said in his amazement, you, you saved us. Mm, don't make me regret it, satire. Now get going, Percy Jackson. I bought you a few hours at most. The Ophiotaurus, I said. Can you get it to camp? Mr. D sniffed. I do not transport livestock. That is your problem. But where do we go? Dionysia looked at Zoe. Oh, I think the Huntress knows. You must enter at sunset today, you know, or all is lost. Now goodbye. My pizza's waiting. Mr. D, I said. He raised his eyebrow. You call me by my right name, I said. You call me Percy Jackson. I most certainly did not, Peter Johnson. Now off with you. He waved his hand and his image disappeared in the mist. All around us, the Manticore's minions were still acting completely nuts. One of them had found our friend, the homeless guy, and they were having a serious conversation about metal, an- metal angels from Mars. Several other guards were harassing the tourists, making animal noises, and trying to steal their shoes. I looked at Zoe. What do you mean, you know where to go? Her face was the color of the fog. She pointed across the bay, past the Golden Gate. In the distance, a single mountain rose up above the cloud lair. The garden of my sisters, she said. I must go home. And that is the end of chapter 15. But don't worry, right after this break, we will read chapter 16. We meet the dragon of eternal bad breath. So don't go anywhere. Just after this break, we'll read chapter 16. And we are back from the ads, and now we will read chapter 16, We Meet the Dragon of Eternal Bad Breath. 
We'll never make it, Zoe said. We are moving too slow, but we cannot leave without leave the Ophia Taurus. Bessie said. He swam next to me as we jogged along the waterfront. We'd left the shopping center pier far behind. We were heading toward the Golden Gate Bridge, but it was a lot farther than I'd realized. The sun was already dipping in the west. I don't get it, I said. Why do we have to get there at sunset? The The Hesperides are the nymphs of the sunset, Zoe said. We can only enter their garden as day changes to night. What happens if we miss it? Tomorrow's winter solstice. If we miss sunset sunset tonight, we would have to wait until tomorrow evening. And by then, the Olympian Council will be over. We must free Lady Artemis tonight. Or Annabeth will be dead, I thought. But I didn't say that. We need a car, Thalia said. But what about Bessie? I asked. Grover stopped in his tracks. I've got an idea. The Ovia Taurus can appear in different bodies of water, right? Well, yeah, I said. I mean, he was in Long Island Sound. Then he just popped into the water at Hoover Dam. And now he's here. So maybe we can coax him back to Long Island Sound, Grover said. Then Sharon could help us get to Olympus. Get him to Olympus. But he was following me, I said. If I'm not going, would he know where he's going? Bessie said forlornly. I, I can show him. Grover said. I'll go with him. I stared at him. Grover was no fan of the water. He almost drowned last summer in the Sea of, Mon- in the sea of Monsters, and he couldn't swim very well with his goat hooves. I'm the only one who can talk to him, Grover said. It makes sense. He bent down and said something in Bessie's ear. Bessie shivered and made a contented lowing sound. The blessing of the wild, Grover said. That should help with safe passage, Percy. Pray to your dad, too. See if he will grant us safe passage through the seas. I didn't understand how they could possibly swim back to Long Island from California. Then again, monsters didn't really travel the same way as humans. I'd seen plenty evidence of that. I tried to concentrate on the waves, the smell of the ocean, the sound of the tide. Dad, I said, help us. Get the Ophia Taurus and Taurus Grover back safely to camp. Protect them at sea. Prayer like that needs a sacrifice, Thalia said. Something big. I thought for a second. Then I took off my coat. Percy, Grover said, are, are you sure? That lion skill, that's really helpful. Hercules used it. As soon as he said it, I realized something. I glanced at Zoe, who was watching me carefully. I realized I didn't know who Zoe's hero had been. The one who ruined her life, gotten her kicked out of her family, and never even mentioned how she'd help him. Hercules. A hero I'd admired all my life. If I'm going to survive, I said, it won't be because I got a lion skin cloak. I'm not Hercules. I threw the coat into the bay. It turned back into a golden lion skin, flashing in the light. Then as it began to sink beneath the waves, it seemed to dissolve into sunlight on the water. The sea breeze picked up. Grover took a deep breath. Well, no time to lose. He jumped into the water and immediately began to sink. Bessie glided next to him and let Grover take a hold of his neck. Be careful, I told him. We will. Okay, um, Bessie, we're going to Long Island. It's east uh, over that way. Bessie, I said. Yes, Grover answered. Long Island. It's this island. It's long. Oh, let's just start. Bessie lurched forward. He started to submerge and Grover said, I can't breathe underwater. Just thought I'd mention. 
Under they went, and I hope my father's protection would extend to little things, like breathing. Well, that's one problem addressed, Zoe said. But how can we get to my sister's garden? Talia's right, I said. We need a car, but there's nobody to help us here. Unless we, uh, barred one. I didn't like that option. I mean, sure, this was a life-or-death situation, but still, it was stealing. It was bound to get us noticed. Wait, Talia said. She started rifling through her backpack. There is somebody in San Francisco who can't help us. I've got the address here somewhere. Who? I asked. Thaya pulled out a crumpled piece of notebook paper and held it up. Professor Chase. Annabeth's dad. After hearing Annabeth gripe about her dad for two years, I was expecting to have devil horns and fangs. I was not expecting him to be wearing an old-fashioned avatar's aviator's cap and goggles. He looked so weird with his eyes burning, bugging out through the glasses, that we all took a step back on the front porch. Hello, he said in a friendly voice. Are you delivering my airplanes? Dahlia, Zoe, and I looked at each other warily. Um, no, sir, I said. Drat, he said. I need more sop, sop with camels. Right. I said, though I had no clue what he was talking about. We're friends of Annabeth. Annabeth? He strained as if I'd just give him an electric shock. Is she alright? Has something happened? None of us answered, but our faces must have told him something that something was very wrong. He took, he took off his cap and goggles. He had sandy colored hair like Annabeth and intense brown eyes. He was handsome, I guess, for an older guy, but it looked like he hadn't shaved in a couple of days. And his shirt was buttoned wrong, so one side of his collar stuck up higher than the other side. You'd better come in, he said. It didn't look like a house they just moved into. There were Lego robots on the stairs and two cats sleeping on the sofa in the living room. The coffee table was stacked with magazines and a little kid's winter coat was spread on the floor. The whole house smelled like fresh baked chocolate chip cookies. There was jazz music coming in from the kitchen. It seemed like a messy, happy kind of home. The kind of place that had been lived in forever. Dad! A little boy screamed. He's taking apart my robots! Bobby? Dr. Chase called absently. Don't take apart your brother's robots. I'm Bobby! The little boy protested. He's Matthew! Matthew? Dr. Chase called. Don't take apart your brother's robots. Okay, Dad! Dr. Chase turned to us. We'll go upstairs to my study, this way. Honey? A woman called. Amber's stepmom appeared in the living room, whipping, wiping her hands on a dish towel. She was a pretty Asian woman with red highlighted hair tied in a bun. Who are our guests? She asked. Oh, Dr. Chase said. This is... He stared at us blankly. Frederick, she chided. You forgot to ask them their names? We introduced ourselves a little uneasily, but Mrs. Chase seemed really nice. She asked if we were hungry. We admitted we were, and she told us she'd bring us some cookies and sandwiches and soda. Dear, Dr. Chase said, they came about Annabeth. I half expected Mr. Chase to turn into a raving lunatic at the mention of her stepdaughter, but she just pursed her lips and looked concerned. All right, go on up to the study and I'll bring you some food. She smiled at me. Nice meeting you, Percy. I've heard a lot about you. Upstairs, we walked into Dr. Chase's study, and I said, Whoa! The room was wall-to-wall books, but what really caught my attention were the war toys. There was a huge table with miniature tanks and soldiers fighting along a blue-painted river, with hills and fake trees and stuff. 
old-fashioned biplanes hung on strings from the ceiling, tilted at crazy angles like they were in the middle of a dogfight. Dr. Chase smiled. Yes, the dirt battle of Ypres. I'm writing a paper, you see, on the use of sopwith camels to strafe enemy lines. I believe they played a much greater role than they've been given credit for. He, puck, he plucked a biplane from its string and swept it across the battlefield, making airplane engine noises as he knocked lead down little German soldiers. Oh, right, I said. I knew Ambit's dad was a professor of military history. She never mentioned he played with toy soldiers. Zoe came over and studied the battlefield. The German lines were farther from the river. Dr. Chase stared at her. How do you know that? I was there, she said matter-of-factly. Artemis wanted to show us how horrible our war was, the way mortal men fight each other, and how foolish too. The battle was a complete waste. The doctor opened his mouth in shock. You- She's a hunter, sir, Thalia said, but that's not why we're here. We need- You saw the sop with camels? Dr. Chase said. How many were there? What formations did they fly? Sir, Thalia broke in again. Annabeth is in danger. That got his attention. He set the biplane down. Of course, he said. Tell me everything. It wasn't easy, but we tried. Meanwhile, the afternoon light was fading outside. We were running out of time. When we, f- when we finished, Dr. Chase collapsed in his leather recliner. He laced his hands. My poor, brave Annabeth. We must hurry. Sir, we need transportation to Mount Talop- Tamalpais, Zoe said. And we need it immediately. I'll drive you. Hmm. It would be faster to fly in my camel, but it only seats two. Whoa, you have an actual biplane? I asked, I said, down at Chrissy Field, Dr. Chase said proudly. That's the reason I had to move here. My sponsor is a private collector with some of the finest World War I relics in the world. He let me restore the Sopwith Camel. Sir, I said, just a car would be great. It might be better if we went without you. It's too dangerous. Dr. Chase frowned uncomfortably. Now, wait a minute, young lady. Annabeth is my daughter. Dangerous or not, I, I can't just... Snacks! Mrs. Chase announced. She pushed through the door with a tray full of peanut butter and jelly cookies, sandwiches and Cokes and cookies fresh out of the oven. The chocolate chips were still gooey. Thalia and I inhaled a few cookies while Zoe said, I can drive, sir. I'm not as young as I look. I promise not to destroy your car. Mrs. Chase knit her eyebrows. What's this about? Annabeth is in danger, Dr. Chase said. On Mount Tam. I would drive them, but apparently it's no place for mortals. It sounded like it was really hard for him to get that last part out. I waited for Mrs. Chase to say no. I mean, what mortal parent would allow three underage teenagers to ballot bar their cars? To my surprise, Mrs. Chase nodded. Then they better get going. Right! Dr. Chase jumped up and started patting his pockets. My keys! His wife sighed. Frederick, honestly, you'd lose your head if it weren't wrapped inside your aviator hat. The keys are hanging on the peg up by the front door. Right! Dr. Chase said. Zoe grabbed a sandwich. Thank you both. We should go. Now. We hustled out the door and down the stairs. The chase is right behind us. Percy, Mrs. Chase called as I was leaving. Tell Annabeth. Tell her she is, still has a home here. Will you? Remind her of that. I took one last look at the messy living room. Annabeth's half-brother spilling Legos and arguing. The smell of cookies filling the air. Not a bad place, I thought. I'll tell her. I promised. We ran out to the yellow... VW convertible parked in the driveway. The sun was going down. I feared we had less than an hour to save Annabeth. Can this thing go any faster? Thalia had demanded. Zoe glared at her. I cannot control traffic. You both sound like my mother, I said. 
Shut up! They both said in unison. Zoe weaved in and out of traffic on the Golden Gate Bridge. The sun was sinking on the horizon when we finally got in Marine County and exited the highway. The roads were insanely narrow, winding through forests and up the sides of hills and around the edges of steep ravines. Zoe didn't slow down at all. Why does everything smell like cough drops? I asked. Eucalyptus, Zoe pointed to the huge trees all around us. The stuffed koala bears eat? And monsters, she said. They love chewing the leaves, especially dragons. Dragons chewed eucalyptus leaves? Believe me, Zoe said. If you had dragon breath, you would chew eucalyptus too. I didn't question her, but I did keep my eyes peeled more closely as we drove. Ahead of us loomed Mount Tamalpis. I guess in terms of mountains, it was a small one, but it looked plenty huge as we were driving toward it. That's the mountain of despair? I asked. Yes, Zoe said tightly. Why do they call it that? She was silent for almost a mile before answering. After the war between the Titans and the gods, many of the Titans were punished and imprisoned. Cronus was sliced to pieces and thrown into Tartarus. Cronus's right-hand man, the general of his forces, was imprisoned up there, on the summit just beyond the Garden of the Hesperides. The general, I said. Clouds seemed to be swirling around its peak as though the mountain was drawing them in, spinning them like a top. What's going on up there, a storm? Zoe did answer. I got the feeling she knew exactly what the clouds meant, and she didn't like it. We have to concentrate, Thalia said. The mist is really strong here. The magical kind or the natural kind, I asked. Both. The gray clouds swirled even thicker over the mountain, and we kept driving straight toward them. We were out of the forest now into wide open spaces of cliffs and grass and rocks and fog. I happened to glance down at the ocean as we passed a scenic curve, and I saw something that made me jump out of my seat. Look! But we turned a corner, and the ocean disappeared behind the hills. What? Daya asked. A big white ship, I said. Docked near the beach, it looked like a cruise ship. Her eyes widened. Luke's ship? I wanted to say I wasn't sure. It might be a coincidence, but I knew better. The Princess Andromeda Luke's demon cruise ship was docked at that beach. That's why he'd send his ship all the way down to the Panama Canal. It was the only way to sail it from east coast to California. We'll have company then, Zoe said grimly. Kronos' army. I was about to answer when suddenly the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. Thalia shouted, Stop the car now! Zoe must have sensed something was wrong because she slammed on the brakes without question. The yellow VW spun twice before coming to a stop at the edge of the cliff. Out! Dahlia opened the door and pushed me hard. We both rolled onto the pavement. The next second, boom! Lightning flashed and Dr. Chase's Volkswagen erupted like a canary yellow grenade. I probably would have been killed by shrapnel except for the Dahlia shield, which appeared over me. I heard a sound like metal rain. When I opened my eyes, we were surrounded by wreckage. Parts of the VW's fender had impaled itself in the street. The smoking hood was spinning in circles. Pieces of yellow metal were strewn across the road. I swallowed the taste of smoke out of my mouth and looked at Thalia. You saved my life. <sighs> One shall perish by a parent's hand? She muttered. Curse him. He would destroy me? Me? It took me a second to realize she was talking about her dad. Oh, hey, that couldn't be have that couldn't have been Zeus's lightning bolt. No way. Who's then? Thalia demanded. I don't know. Zoe said Kronos's name. Maybe he... Thalia shook her head, looking angry and stunned. No, that wasn't it. Wait, I said. Where's Zoe? Zoe! We both got up and ran around the blasted VW. Nothing inside. Nothing either direction down the road. I looked down the cliff. No sign of her. 
Zoe! I shouted. Then she was standing right next to me, pulling me by my arm. Silence, fool. Do you want to wake Lydon? You mean we're here? Very close, she said. Follow me. Sheets of fog were drifting right across the road. Zoe stepped in, into one of them, and when the fog passed, she was no longer there. Dolly and I looked at each other. Concentrate on Zoe, Dolly advised. We are following her. Go straight into the fog and keep that in mind. Wait, Dahlia! But what happened back on the pier? I mean, the manticorn, the sacrifice? I don't want to talk about it. You wouldn't actually have, you know? She hesitated. I was just shocked, that's all. Zeus didn't send that lightning bolt at the car. It was Kronos. He's trying to manipulate you, make you angry at your dad. She took a deep breath. Percy, I know you're trying to make me feel better. Thanks, but come on, we need to go. She stepped into the fog, into the mist, and I followed. When the fog cleared, I was still on the side of the mountain, but the road was dirt. The grass was thicker. The sunset made a blood-red slash across the sea. The summit of the mountain seemed closer now, swirling with storm clouds and raw power. There was only one path to the top, directly in front of us, and it led through the lush meadow of shadows and flowers, the Garden of Twilight, just like I'd seen in my dream. If it hadn't been for the enormous dragon, the garden would have been the most beautiful place I'd ever seen. The grass shimmered with silvery evening light, and the flowers were such brilliant colors they almost glowed in the dark. Stepping stones of polished black marble led around either side of a five-story tall apple tree, every bow glittering with golden apples, and I don't mean yellow golden apples like in the grocery store. I mean real golden apples. I can't describe why they were so appealing, but as soon as I smelled their fragrance, I knew that one bite would be the most delicious thing I'd ever tasted. The apples of immortality, Thalia said. Here's wedding gift from Zeus. I wanted to step right up and pluck one, except for the dragon coiled around the tree. Now, I don't know what you think of when I say dragon. Whatever it was, it's not scary enough. The serpent's body was as thick as a booster rocket, glinting with coppery scales. He had more heads than I could count, as if a hundred deadly pythons had been fused together. He appeared to be asleep. The heads lay curled in a big spaghetti-like mound on the grass like all the eyes closed. Then the shadows in front of us began to move. It was a beautiful, eerie singing, like voices from the bottom of a well. I reached for Riptide, but Zoe stopped my hand. Four figures shimmered into existence. Four young women who looked very much like Zoe. They all wore white Greek chitons. Their skin was like caramel. Silky black hair tumbled loose around their shoulders. It was strange, but I never realized how beautiful Zoe was until I saw her siblings. The Hesperides. They looked just like Zoe. Gorgeous and probably very dangerous. Sisters, Zoe said. We do not see any sisters, one of the girls said coldly. We see two half-bloods and a hunter, all of whom shall soon die. You've got it wrong, I stepped forward. Nobody is going to die. The girls studied me. They had eyes like volcanic rock glass and completely black. Perseus Jackson, one of them said. Yes, mused another. I do not see why he's a threat. Who said I was a threat? The first Hesperid glanced behind her, toward the top of the mountain. They fear thee. They're unhappy that this one has not yet killed thee. She pointed at Thalia. Tempting sometimes, Thalia admitted, but no thanks. He's my friend. There are no friends here, daughter of Zeus, the girl said. Only enemies. Go back. Not without Annabeth, Thalia said. And Artemis, Zoe said. We must approach the mountain. You know he will kill thee, 
the girl said. You are no match for him. Artemis must be freed, Zoe insisted. Let us pass. The girl shook her head. You have no rights here anymore. We will only have to raise our voices and Laden will rake. He will not hurt me, Zoe said. No? And what if I die so-called friends? And Zoe did the last thing I expected. She shouted, Laden, wake! The dragon stirred, glittering like a mountain of pennies. The Hesperides yelped and scattered. The lead girl said to Zoe, Are you mad? You never had any courage, sister, Zoe said. That is thy problem. The dragon Laden was writhing now. A hundred heads whipping around and tongues flickering and tasting the air. Zoe took a step forward, her arms raised. Zoe, don't, Thai said. You're not a Hesperid anymore. He'll kill you. Ladin is trained to protect the tree, Zoe said. Skirt around the edges of the garden. Go up the mountain. As long as I am a bigger threat, he should ignore thee. Should, I said. Not exactly reassuring. It is the only way, she said. Even the three of us together cannot fight him. Ladin opened his mouths. His mouths. The sound of a hundred heads hissing at once sent a shiver down my back. That was before his breath hit me. The smell was like acid. It made my eyes burn, my skin crawl, and my hair stand on end. I remember the time a rat had died in our insider apartment wall in New York in the middle of the summer. The stench was like that. It kept a hundred times stronger and mixed with the smell of chewed eucalyptus. I promised myself right then that I would never ask a school nurse for another cough drop. I wanted to draw my sword, but then I remembered my dream of Zoe and Hercules and how Hercules had failed in a head-on assault. I decided to trust Zoe's judgment. Thaya went left, I went right. Zoe walked straight toward the monster. It's me, my little dragon, Zoe said. Zoe has come back. Ladin shifted forward, then back. Some of the mouths closed, some kept hissing. Dragon confusion, meanwhile, the Hesperides shimmered and turned into shadows. The voice of the eldest whispered, Fool. I used to feed the D by hand, Zoe continued, speaking in a soothing voice as she stepped toward the golden tree. Do you still like lamb's meat? The dragon's eyes glinted. Ty and I were about halfway around the garden. Ahead, I could see a single rocky trail leading up to the black peak of the mountain. The storm swirled above it, spinning on the summit like it was an axis for the whole world. We almost made it out of the meadow when something went wrong. I felt the dragon's mood shift. Maybe Zoe got too close. Maybe the dragon realized he was hungry. Whatever the reason was, he lunged at Zoe. Two thousand years of training kept her alive. She dodged one set of slashing fangs and tumbled under another. Weaving through the dragon's heads as she ran in our direction, gagging from the monster's horrible breath. I drew Riptide to help. No! Zoe panted. Run! The dragon snapped at her side, and Zoe cried out. Thalia uncovered Aegis, and the dragon hissed. In his moment of indecision, Zoe sprinted past us up the mountain, and we were followed. The dragon didn't try to pursue. He hissed and stomped the ground, but I guess he wasn't well-trained to guard that tree. He wasn't going to be lured off even by the tasty prospect of eating some heroes. We ran up the mountain as the Hesperides resumed their song in the shadows behind us. This music didn't sound so beautiful to me now. More like the soundtrack for a funeral. At the top of mountains, mountain were ruins, blocks of black granite, and marble as big as houses. Broken columns, statues of bronze that looked as though they'd been half-melted. The ruins of Mount Ortheus, Thaya whispered in awe. Yes, Zoe said. It was not here before. This is bad. What's Mount Ortheus? I asked, feeling a fool as usual. The mountain fortress of the Titans, Zoe said. 
In the first war, Olympus and Orthius were the first two, were the two rival capitals of the world. Orthius was... She winced and held her hand. You're hurt, I said. Let me see. No, it is nothing, I was saying. In the first war, Orthius was blasted to pieces. But how is it here? Thaya looked around cautiously as we picked our way through the rubble, past blocks of marble and broken archways. It moves in the same way that Olympus moves. It always exists on the edges of civilization, but the fact is that it is here, on this mountain, is not good. Why? This is Atlas's mountain, Zoe said, where he holds... She froze. Her voice was ragged with despair, where he used to hold up the sky. We had reached the summit. A few uh, yards ahead of us, gray clouds swirled in a heavy vortex, making a funnel cloud that almost touched the mountaintop, but instead rested on the shoulders of a 12-year-old girl with auburn hair and a tattered silvery dress, Artemis. Her legs bound to the rock with celestial bronze chains. This is what I had seen in my dream. It hadn't been a cavern roof that Artemis was full to hold. It was the roof of the world. My lady! Zoe rushed forward, but Artemis said, Stop! This is a trap. You must leave now. Her voice was stained. She was drenched in sweat. I had never seen a goddess in pain before, but the weight of the sky was clearly too much for Artemis. Zoe was crying. She ran forward despite Artemis' protest and tugged at the chains. A booming voice spoke behind us. Ah, how touching. We turned. The general was standing there in his brown silk suit. At his side were Luke and a half a dozen draconi bearing the golden sarcophagus of Kronos. Annabeth stood at Luke's side. She had her hands cuffed behind her back, a gag in her mouth, and Luke was holding the point of his sword to her throat. I met her eyes, trying to ask her a thousand questions. There was just one message she was sending me, though. Run. Luke. Thaya snarled. Let her go. Luke's smile was weak and pale. He looked even worse than he had three days ago in D.C. That is the general's decision, Thalia. But it's good to see. But it's good to see you again. Thalia spat at him. The general chuckled. So much for old friends. And you, Zoe? It's been a long time. That was my little traitor. I will enjoy killing you. Do not respond, Artemis groaned. Do not challenge him. Wait a second, I said. You're Atlas? The general glanced at me. So even the stupidest of heroes can finally figure something out. Yes, I'm Atlas, the general of the Titans and Terror of the Gods. Congratulations, I will kill you presently, as soon as I deal with this wretched girl. You're not gonna hurt Zoe, I said. I won't let you. The general sneered. You have no right to interfere, little hero. This is a family matter. I frowned. A family matter? Yes, Zoe said bleakly. Atlas is my father. And that is the end of chapter 16. That was such a great twist. The way that Zoe actually revealed, just like how Sharon revealed that Kronos is his father, now we know that Atlas, who is the general of the Titans, and is now and is now revealed to be Zoe's father, you know, it's really uh, I it's really unexpected to see how a god of the sky could be supporting the titans right you usually see the gods you know being on one side but the god atlas was actually supporting the the titans and he's actually the general of the titans but i guess we gotta wait next week to see what will happen as you know we now know that atlas atlas's daughter is zoe and see what what atlas will punish her for 
And until then, stay safe and stay out of boredom.